Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA overreactions for the first week of the NBA season. So, Jalen, what is one overreaction you have for the NBA season so far? All right, Ryan. Hold on to your seat, my guy, because I, I hope I'm not going to offend anybody with this one, but I got to start off spicy. Ryan, after only three games, I'm starting to truly fear that the Boston Celtics as a team may have peaked in 2018. I'm starting to think that this is a team that we saw the best version of them when the Eastern Conference was weaker. LeBron James was taking about taking out a lot of the bigger guys, the bigger boys in the league, like the Torontos of the world. Milwaukee Bucks weren't who they who they are now in terms of Giannis developing as an MVP caliber player. I'm starting to think that this Eastern Conference team. Um, this Eastern Conference as a whole has caught up to this Boston Celtics team. And with the gap closing, talent-wise, I think that Boston missed its chance back in 2018 when they took the Cavs deep into the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. I think they missed their one really big chance to win an NBA title with Jason Tatum, arguably as your best player. Let's talk about just the first three weeks. The Nets shellacked them. The Bucks lost by one in a game where Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Drew Holiday each scored 25-plus. Drew Holiday, uh, 25 points. Giannis, 35 points. Chris Middleton, 27 points. Also, Dante DiVincenzo had 15. Basically, Brooke Lopez hits one more casual three that he normally hits, and this game is in the Bucs' favor. And then you get Indiana, who then beats the, the Celtics by one point on the back of DeMontis Sabonis with 19 and 10 and Malcolm Brogdon, with 25, 5, and 5. And I don't believe that Victor Oladipo played. Like, this is a Boston team that was in talks for trading for Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler. Kevin Durant was being wooed by the Boston Celtics media. They even brought Mark Wahlberg and Tom Brady to come recruit him during his free agency process. This is a team that missed out on a lot of top-tier talent, has also watched Kyrie Irving go out the door basically for free, Gordon Hayward go out the door basically for free. They had Enos Cantor as a renter center, a renter center basically, last year, who's now back on Portland. Kimball Walker is injured. Their depth is not nearly as good as it may have looked last season where they had guys like Brad Wanabaker coming off the bench. I just think that this may be a team 
that's best chance of winning a championship with Jason Tatum, who still has chance, who still has a chance to improve beyond where he is right now as an offensive and defensive player. Don't get me wrong. He's only in his fourth season. He just signed his rookie extension this season. He's got a long awaited career, at least the next, you know, next five years, I think was what the extension was six years if we're counting this season to show us that he could potentially be the best player on a championship team. But as of right now, they're in a position right now where if you really look at the course of events over the last couple of years in the East significantly getting better from the bottom where a lot of teams like Charlotte is reaching out for top top tier talent by getting a guy like LaMelo Ball in the draft and signing Gordon Hayward. Atlanta decided to be the free agency darling of the offseason in terms of the guys that they went out and go, gotten picked, which a good handful of them we haven't even seen yet, and guys like Clint Capella, who they already had, who was injured for most of last year, and Danilo Gallinari, who missed with early injury as well. Like, this is a conference that's getting better by the season, whilst the Celtics are just simply trying to get better internally. And I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Yeah, and Boston is really struggling right now. <clears throat> and I think that with a team like Boston, it's not an overreaction to say that they peaked because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are still two of the best players, not only on their team but in the conference. But this season, all the depth that we were talking about, all the depth that we thought they had, I don't think it's really there. I think it's non-existent depth. And this team, the team's flaws are showing right now without Kemba Walker. But I think the MVP campaign for Jason Tatum, I think the clock is winding. I think, I think that the championship window also for Boston is closing. As teams like you mentioned, Atlanta, and Charlotte continue to get better. Boston is a team that right now looks stagnant. They look a lot like the aforementioned Indiana Pacers. But I, I think this is just easy. I think these are just early season struggles. And I think that Boston will eventually go back to where they once were last season. They'll be a top three team in the Eastern conference. I mean, I definitely think it'll be, I think they'll be dangerous. I mean, I think that's the thing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sleep on them. But at the same time, I think something more ironic when I talk about where they peaked is, I think that what's more ironic than the fact that the Nets are who the Celtics want it to be. You know what I mean? That, I think that's the funny part about looking back at 2018. Back in 2018, that was where all the hype was surrounding, oh, we have Jason Tatum as a rookie, Jalen Brown in his second year, two developing guards, both picks that the Brooklyn Nets would have had, by the way, at three. And we're going to do this with two rising stars that the Brooklyn Nets won't have because we have them instead. Now instead, the Brooklyn Nets had two established stars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, aforementioned as a guy who actually Boston Celtics had at one point, And then on top of that, they still have two developing guys in Karis LeVert, who is an all-star level player and probably 
if he were on Indiana, for example, could probably be an all-star caliber player in the Eastern Conference on top of a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who is arguably, you know, always in the six man of the year conversation whenever he's the first guy off the bench because he's just that good, but he plays a very monogenobly role, which ironically is what Steve Nash um, mentioned to the media that he hopes Karis Levert will be. Um, so it's just funny looking back at it, how things come full circle where everything we were saying about the 2018 version of the Boston Celtics in conjunction to where the Nets were and where they were coming from in 2018, the Nets somehow look like they're on the better side of the court right now than the Celtics. And it's only been, you know, a couple of years since that trade took place. And it's all coming full circle where the East is caught up to them so much that the team they thought they ruined <laughs> front eight, front, front, um, front office wise is now easily a better team than they are. I kind of see where you're coming from with the irony. I just think it's interesting that they missed out on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, even though Kyrie played for them for two seasons. It's just tough seeing a team like Boston struggle because this is an organization that has had that championship pedigree for Mm -hmm. so long. And I still think that they're a contender in the East, but these concerns that there, there are a lot of concerns right now with this Boston team. But Jalen, I want to start a campaign today as part of my overreactions. My campaign is Colin Sexton for most improved player. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Colin Sexton is one of the most underrated guards in the Eastern Conference and also in the league. He's shown consistent improvement throughout, improvement throughout his career. And I think this is going to be the year where he has a breakout season. In his first three games against Charlotte, 27 points, five assists, on 9 of 16 shooting from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Against Detroit, 32 points, 3 assists, 3 steals, on 15 of 23 shooting from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. Against Philadelphia, 22 points, 3 assists, 3 rebounds, on 8 of 15 shooting from the field, and 1 of 2 from beyond the arc. Now, I don't want to put all of this, I don't want to put all of the team's success on Colin Sexton, even though, even though the Cavaliers right now are 3-0 and and he's playing great so far. His teammates have contributed to some of that success. For example, Darius Garland. He's proven that he is capable of running this offense. And Andre Drummond, who proved in Detroit, and is still continuing to prove in Cleveland that he's a double-double machine and he's a solid rim protector. But overall, Colin Sexton's season, or Colin Sexton, his season should not go unnoticed. Now, I think the campaign for Colin Sexton as most improved player rides on one statistic specifically. Three-point percentage. Last season... Or let's start let's let's start with his rookie season. His rookie season, he shot forty percent from the three point line. His second season he shot thirty eight percent from the free throw line. Right now, 
he is shooting 67.7 or 66.7% from the three-point line. If you're telling me that Colin Sexton is going to shoot up from 38% to somewhere north of 42 to 47% from three, we're talking about arguably probably a top five guard in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> that, that means we slept on him big time in terms of our top 10 rankings that came out. I do wonder how long he can hold this up. He is on the same amount of attempts per game, three three-point attempts per game. We've always known Colin Sexton to be a scorer, even since his days in Alabama and even earlier. This is the guy who is universally renowned for a game in which he won three on five, basically single-handedly back in Alabama. But from 16.7 points to 20.8 points to right now 27 points per game, dude, it is pretty hard to argue that on the trajectory that he's on, he's a guy who could should definitely be in the running for it my concerns are strictly out of the fact that i think with him being in cleveland he may get the Devonte graham treatment as another guy who's dark horsed in but right now i gotta say that colin sexton has to be somewhere in the mix as a top three if we're talking about right now if he's improved in all these areas that it looks like he's taking a step in right now yeah, and I think we kind of expected that from Colin Sexton going into his third year. Um, we knew it, we knew he was going to be a top 10 pick going into the draft that year. And I think when he ended up in Cleveland, there's this expectation that he's going to be the franchise. And he's acting like the franchise player. He's playing like the franchise player. I think he's fulfilling every expectation that we had for him going into his NBA career. And I think the jump that he's going to take in his career begins at this season. I want to transition to the Western conference because that is my other overreaction. Jalen, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Okay. I know they're two and one right now, but the Clippers are not a great team without Kawhi Leonard. Jalen, I want to specifically talk about the loss to Dallas yesterday. Jalen, they lost to Dallas by 51 points. Most in Frank, uh, most in, uh, in NBA history, I believe. Jalen, how many points were they down at halftime? A lot. Yeah. It was, it was bad. I think it was like, what was it, like 72 to something? It was, it was horrible. <laughs> Jalen, they were down by 50 points at halftime. Golly, man. That is the largest halftime deficit in league history. Yeah, 77 to 17. God, or to 27. Golly. And we're expecting this team to compete in the Western Conference. Jalen, this Clippers team is not nearly as good as what they once were. And I'll tell you this, Montrez Harrell was a huge loss for this team. The reigning sixth man of the year, and to see him going to the other Los Angeles team and doing the same thing that he did on your team 
with a different Los Angeles team. Jalen, I don't know about you, but this is this is a huge loss, like I said. Now I now granted, Serge Ibaka has been a bright spot for this team. He was one of the only Los Angeles Clippers to put up more than ten points against Dallas. I'll say that even he should have been considered when we made our power forward positional ranking list for the Western Conference. Jalen, the game against Dallas was the first game this season without Kawhi because if you remember, he was injured against Phoenix. Mm. This was the chance to see how good the supporting cast was. I was excited to see Paul George because of what he did in the first two games, which made me believe that Paul George from 2018 has returned. Mm -hmm. I was so wrong, Jalen. He put up 15 points on 4 of 13 shooting from the field and 0 of 6 from 3. Now, I hope this was just a bad performance. But he led the team in scoring. He had 15 points. Lou Williams only played 9 minutes in that game and didn't score. Luke Kennard, who had just gotten the huge contract extension, has not really been living up to that contract extension. So I need to see more from Luke Kennard. I'm expecting him to be a guy who can knock down threes. And I, and I, I get it. I know it's early in the season. But this team is really struggling right now without Kawhi Leonard. And I know they're 2-1. and one, And this is maybe the overreaction of overreactions. But Jalen, I'll, I'll tell you this. If this happens again, I think there's going to be cause for concern in Los Angeles. Well, I'll start off by saying that I don't think it'll happen again. We're talking about a, a historical feat in terms of what the Mavericks did. And honestly, if they had Kristaps, this would have probably been even uglier. We're talking about Tim Hardaway with 18, Josh Richardson with 21, Luca obviously with 24. Everybody chipped in. Even Jalen Brunson had double digits with 11 points. I mean, this was an overall team level win. And I mean, the game got so good in terms of the Mavericks that even <laughs> rookie Tyrell Terry got a, got a couple minutes in the game late. So, I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. But Ryan, I think the biggest thing about this overreaction is we have to realize Serge Ibaka was the MVP for both teams in this regards, because for the Clippers, he probably was their best performer on the night in only 20 minutes with 13 points and nine rebounds. But he's also the reason why Kawhi Leonard didn't play. So I guess the Dallas Mavericks had something to look forward to. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where, unfortunately, the double-edged sword of that circumstance made it where you could argue that maybe Serge Ibaka felt as though he had to play up to par, considering the circumstances of maybe being the, the reason why your best player is not on the floor. But no, in all seriousness, though, this team – does look mediocre at best without Kawhi Leonard on the floor. I think he draws a lot of attention offensively. I think there's a lot of stuff that he does in terms of creating space for others. I think PG is able to play off of him in a way where he can have games like the one against the Nuggets where he had nine assists and be, you know, PG the PG in terms of, you know, kind of playing as a facilitating wing. Um I will I will agree with you heavily that this all season is starting to look a little dicey though 
Nick Batum, four and six in 21 minutes. Luke Kennard, seven and two in 29 minutes. Patrick Beverly, who I'm sure they were hoping to replace with a high IQ player like Rondo, who elected to go to Atlanta instead. Two points and two rebounds with no assists in 22 minutes on the floor. This team still has Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. And he had eight, three, and one in 21 minutes. You could argue their centers were the best players on the floor, combining for 23 points. And if Vigas Zubac only had two rebounds, and he's a seven-footer. And I think you know the game is bad when rookie Daniel Oturo gets 12 minutes. I think that's all you got to know. Between that and Terrence Mann getting 24, you know that this is not a championship-caliber team when Lou Williams plays low minutes, played nine on the game, like you said before, and didn't score any points, and a guy, Kawhi Leonard, who's out. This is definitely a middle-of-the-pack team, if not worse than what we thought the Rockets might be (laughs) if James Harden elected not to play when we're talking about this team without Kawhi Leonard. I think Houston is a better built team without James Harden right now than the Clippers are without Kawhi Leonard. And that's rough when we're talking about a team that's supposed to be one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, and I agree with all your points because Houston, in hindsight, looks like the worst of the two, looked like the weaker of the two teams especially considering that there was a chance that James Harden would leave. But now James Harden's still on Houston. And Houston picked up John Wall and uh, DeMarcus, Cov- and, and DeMarcus Cousins and Christian Wood in the offseason. They had a much better free agency offseason than the Clippers did because the Clippers lost Montrezl Harrell and they also lost Jermichael Green which also, in hindsight, losing Jermichael Green is somewhat of a huge loss considering that he provides you more depth at the power forward position. Mm-hmm. Now, Jalen, you and I were talking off, or were talking yesterday about how much this loss hurts the Clippers. Mm-hmm. The replacement for Montrezl Harrell, like you said, was Serge Ibaka. And yes, granted, he's been one of the bright spots for this team. The other free agency signings that they signed were Nicholas Batum, Luke Kennard. I don't even, were Nicholas Batum and, and Luke Kennard. I don't think they're in any way, shape, or form. These two signings are better than what Houston got, which was John Wall, Christian Wood, and DeMarcus Cousins. Agreed. This could end up being a hot take, but Jalen, I think there's a possibility that Houston could finish with a better record than Los Angeles when all is said and done. But I have to say, Jalen, I know this is, this may be the only time that the Clippers lose by 50 points and are down 50 at halftime, Mm -hmm. but this is early cause for concern. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of early cause for concern, my second, and last overreaction is phrased in an interesting way that may require a little bit of explanation, a little bit of an explanation. But hear me out. 
The 2021 Denver Nuggets look like a carbon copy of the 2020 Portland Trailblazers. Let me explain. Tell me if you've heard this story before. One fringe-level MVP player next to a borderline underrated all-star level player that ascended a smidge the season prior, along with a good supporting cast that has unfortunately either seen players go out the door or fall due to injury. Sounds like Portland, right? Portland has Damian Lillard with CJ McCollum next to him, And last year, they faced a lot of injury concerns related to guys like Zach Collins, Nurkic, lost Rodney Hood for the year, had one point where they had to start Carmelo Anthony for a significant stretch because they didn't have significant small forward depth and had to have guys like Gary uh, Gary Trent Jr. come on strong late in the season. Let's Let's describe the Denver Nuggets. Fringe MVP caliber player in Nikola Jokic next to an ascending fringe all-star caliber player in Jamal Murray, who just relatively ascended as a player what we, from what we saw in the bubble, has a guy like Michael Porter Jr., who steps into a bigger role than maybe anticipated, faces a lot of depth concerns, not the, same, not the same as Portland in terms of that because their depth concerns were related to injury in terms of Denver is due to the fact that they lost Jeremy Grant and Plumlee and Torrey Craig in the offseason due to free agency. And now they're a team that's facing early season blues with a middle-of-the-pack level roster but a lack of true continuity due to guys not being on the team the way they were the year before. And now they're kind of suffering from chemistry issue situations. What's the other thing that matches these two teams? They both peaked at the Western Conference Finals the year prior. Tell me the Denver Nuggets of 2021 are not the 2020 Portland Trailblazers. And what that means, what that might entail, is that the Denver Nuggets might just barely make the playoffs the way they look right now. That's a tough thing to say. Um, The injuries, yes, I have concerns about their injuries right now. The loss of Jeremy Grant. That's going. I think that's going to be a huge loss down the road for this team. I would also go as far to say the loss of Torrey Craig is a huge loss for this team as well. Mm-hmm. But Jalen, they still have Jamal Murray, who's playing at his highest level right now. They have Nikola Jokic, arguably the best center in the Western Conference. Michael Porter Jr., who is now on the ascension, in terms of his career, I believe that he's going to have a breakout season this year. And like I also mentioned, they acquired um, Jermichael Green from the Los Angeles Clippers. I see where you're coming from in that sense. 
But this is the Denver Nuggets. This team went to the Western Conference Finals last year. And much like Portland, you're right, they went to the Western Conference Finals the year prior. I don't see this team as a team that slips into the playoffs. I think that they could sneak in as I, – I think they could be a five seed at best um, considering that Nikola Jokic is still playing – at his highest level, being one of the best centers in the league. I think as long as Jokic and Murray stay healthy, the team succeeds. Now, the point you're trying to make is that this team is injured. They're going to have a lot of uh, injuries this season. That may be true because the supporting cast is not nearly as good as what what they once were last year. So that makes sense. But we're still talking about the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, MPJ, Michael Porter Jr. That's a three-headed monster right there. And I think that with the success of the Denver Nuggets last season, there's a chance they could repeat that success. But I do agree with your concerns that injuries may end up being their downfall this year. I mean, my biggest concern is less injuries and more so just the depth in general. Like I said, the argument in terms of injuries more so was related to Portland because they were the team that was significantly injured last year, dropping guys um, left and right due to injury. This year, in terms of Denver, it's more so them dropping guys due to free agency. So my biggest concern for them is more so depth and injury because you never know how the injury gods work, so you don't really want to factor that into a season. But they lost a lot of depth at a key position that forced them to bring back a guy in Paul Millsap for a one-year deal, for example, because of the fact that they saw so much power forward slash center help go out the door. Tory Craig was a relatively nice wing defender, very like West Math, uh, Wesley Matthews, ironically, back when he was in Portland, uh, type of build in Tory Craig, who's now with Milwaukee, I believe. So... I mean, I just think that this is a team that the exhaustion of having to be in so many game seven scenarios, so many comeback related scenarios during the playoffs, excluding the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, obviously, where that one ended in a gentleman's sweep. I believe that similar to Portland, this is a team that had to put so much energy into just simply making the playoff run that they made that was already beyond belief. Similar to Portland, Portland was not penciled in by anybody besides Charles Barkley to make the Western Conference Finals that year. And the Denver Nuggets caught the NBA world by storm themselves by going on a historical Cinderella run in the bubble. And I think similar to Portland, a lot of the things that come with having come with having a different roster overall from the season prior where you made the run you made is that you feel a lot of the growing pains that comes with maintaining a roster. And similar to how Portland suffered big in the injury department and led them to have a a big mix match of guys playing on a nightly basis, the Denver Nuggets saw a lot of depth go out the door and now they're trying to figure out who their third and fourth options are reliably on a night-to-night basis. And that's making things difficult for them early on. And I think that's going to be something that they struggle with throughout the entirety of the season, similar to Portland. 
And I think similar to how Portland did last year, they're going to have to make a late season push to be able to assert themselves as a bottom four team in the Western Conference playoffs. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what is one overreaction that you have for the first week of the NBA season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.